chapter by chapter, line by line. Listen to our show and have a real good time. Hit it. With your pal Annie. And Eric too. Chapter by chapter, line by line, we'll read along with you. We'll read along with you. Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. We are the world's dumbest book club. We're the world's uh, stupidest book club, uh, hosted by one of the world, uh, a, a very intelligent woman by the name of Annie, and then a very dumb man by the name of Eric. And uh, Eric, um, what happened to uh, Chapter 31? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. What a fantastic segue. Uh, uh, we were going to do a Chapter 31 and then a episode on... The, a, the Northanger Abbey uh, movie. Uh, hold up, hold up a second, Eric. There's a there's a movement um, behind the veil that separates well, um, my apartment from the um, from the land of uh, of of, uh, of death, from the the land of the undead. A lot, of, a lot and, of ghosts show up at your apartment at your place, but I'm safe, so I can just keep and, talking about. Oh, what I'm okay. About so there's there's a robed. A uh, middle-aged man who he's giving me a grim stare, and then so I diving lost. into I I, uh, the my laptop, and now uh, he appears wait, to be standing oh, no. behind you. Oh no! Uh, hey, hey, buddy, what's up? Hey, hey, farfanculo! Hey, bastardo! What are you? What are you doing? Why you gotta? You gotta? You gotta lose hey, episode chapter thirty-one. Hey. Who told you I lost episode 31? I can get you episode 31, no problem. Hey, in the Amazon, it goes to warehouse. We know everything. We know everything. We know that Eric lost chapter 31. Hey, look, you know... How are we going to know how Northanger Abbey ends? Hey, come on. Come on, Boccaccio. You know you know, I'm good for it. You know, All of the great can... Italian poets. All of the great... I can get you it. You're gonna get you a good thirty. I can get you even better episode thirty-one. I'll give you an episode with thirty-one, and also, uh, it'll have the movie in it too. The movie. Come on, man. All the great Italian poets, all the great Italian writers. We want to know. Does a Catherine marry a Henry Tilney? We'll let you we don't know. know. We don't know. know. You will ruin it for I us. We're late. I know I lost the old one, but come on. Come on, man. You got to give me Dante a Dante was wondering. He says, hey, Giovanni Boccaccio, how does Nathangare have the end? We're going to watch it as a podcast. I kiss your rings. Please don't, please don't have your goons beat me up. Please. 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 This better be a good episode is all I'm saying. You better make it a good episode. <laughs> Think of my mom. She will cry so much. We got all the we got all the Italian uh, poets in the line beyond the veil. We're waiting for this. You're gonna get it if this is not a good episode. Please don't send Dante to break my legs. Dante is gonna break your legs. I'm gonna <laughs> run you over with my car. No, my ghost no, car is a bit of a wreck. Run over my genitals in your car. Hey, and set me on fire. Like Pasolini. Hey, Pasolini. Pasolini is he's also in the Ghost Amazon the Warehouse. Yeah, he told you what happened to him. He did. He told us what happened to him. We're not telling anybody who murdered. He crossed the Cosa Nostra. He cost your shtick. 
Hey, we got a Cosa Nostra in the land beyond the veil. I can't be naming names. Not on this podcast, nor any podcast. Or else the ghostly Carabinieri will be after you. Uh, right, so... Um, so he's he's fizzling into nothingness. Uh, he After having threatened me uh, justifiably. Uh, okay, um, Annie, we really have to have a banger of a final episode or else I'm going to die. Yeah, it looks like... Um, I think we had better be very clever so yeah. that the uh, a bunch of dead Italians don't murder you. It's true. As um, we can see that you're not safe from um, evil dead writers in your apartment in Bed-Stuy. No, no. Um, it's, uh, Brooklyn is their territory, and I, I went and I crossed them. I crossed a made man. I owe them one banger of an episode, so this this got to be good. All right, so uh, in this uh, show, which we have now read exactly one book. You've gone you, through a whole book. You have now read one book, and you didn't even have to read anything. You just had to listen to a couple of pretentious assholes uh, talk about it for hours and hours and hours on, ha- on end. Just, just um, listen to our stupid freaking voices. Listen to our stupid voices, not learn anything, just listen to us talk about anime, video games, heavy metal, Garfield, memes, pointy vaginas. Uh, 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 I feel like we mentioned a boo or two. And uh, now we are finally at chapter 31, a second time. Although I honestly, you know, for considering how, um, how dumb we are... It's kind of impressive that we made it this far without losing an episode. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I was really making a record to see how long it would take, and unfortunately, uh, I'm the one who, who effed it up. Uh, sorry, everybody. And, uh, but we're doing this again. I, I think also the good news is Chapter 31, the final chapter of Northanger Abbey, was so dull, or at least wrapped up all of the plot points so quickly, that uh, not as much to talk about. Yeah, and so for that reason, we've actually also uh, watched a a film adaptation of Northanger Abbey to kind of fill it in. Yeah, see what they do with the material. So uh, what happens in uh, the last chapter? Uh, On the final chapter of Northanger Abbey, the season series finale you've been at the edge of your seat for. Um, they wrapped up plot points so fast. Uh, they just tied them all up in a bow. Um, it, I got whiplash from it. It was like, you know, using a lot of the passive voice or the uh, the the distant psychic distance, if you know what I mean. The, and then this happened. Um, it was like the the second to last season of Game of Thrones, like or the last season of Game of Thrones, where they just wrapped things up so quickly. They had so many loose threads that they were like, just get everybody back on one continent, get everybody fighting each other. Uh, yeah, I was not... Uh, I mean, we, we have been talking for several chapters now about how... Uh, what a mixed bag Northanger Abbey is, and it contains some of the best writing in, in Jane Austen, I think, especially some of the scenes in... Um, in Bath, the riding around in gigs with boys uh, chapters, and also some of her her worst, most juvenile writing, where she she makes fun of uh, these 
gothic novels and the teenagers with their with their fire and brimstone and their stormy nights and gothic castles and it's just a little too it's too like it's too bazinga it's too like we get it you don't like gothic romance and it doesn't make sense that these characters are acting this way yeah it's a, it's a, i think it's it's a that that kind of hatred on is it seemed very personal on the part of uh jane austen and it and i think unseemly i think in uh in like creative writing you would call that like an authorial tick where it's not exactly intentional where it's, just, it's just happening it's just happening she's trying to hammer home some point then it doesn't really matter what her actual characters would think and feel about the subject it was a real ayn rand moment and there aren't a lot of ayn rand moments in in uh, in jane austen because she's was a genius unlike no, ayn rand yeah in fact there are so few um, I, I say Ayn Rand moments, so few uncomfortably, or not uncomfortably, there are so few overtly political moments in Jane Austen, she's such a subtle author in that way, that many good-intentioned people whose politics I like have bemoaned it. They said, why wasn't she more of a revolutionary figure? Why is it that she has such a keen look on the insides of people's minds and women's roles, but she never thought to challenge women's roles? And um, I feel like, I mean... Either one, she's too subtle an author to do that, or two, I mean, we none of us escape our, our none of us escape our own ideologies. None of us escape the circumstances we live. Yeah, so one of those two is true. I I don't I I think that it's really difficult for a novelist to be revolutionary in that way because you mm-hmm. are so stuck in the descriptive. And I think once you once you step into the prescriptive as a novelist, that's when you start having ticks and making awkward pronouncements and being that 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 you if you can't be be subtle about your characters then uh you're probably not going to be a very good novelist and i think a lot of very very you know revolutionary authors uh tend to be sort of less good at at, at building fully dimensional characters yeah you're, yeah because they're too busy i mean like and it's that's especially difficult nowadays, I feel like, because we live in very unsettled times, right? Like, there is explicit evil happening, and um, and also, all, even if there weren't, all of the main protagonists of this current age um, are phenomenally unsettled human beings. And there, there is sort of this great flattening. So it's very difficult to make a piece of art that has, you know, here's a thing and we're going to reflect on it with total neutrality because if you're actually trying to reflect real life um i mean what donald trump recently said inject uh inject light into you or something i don't know bleach inject bleach i mean it's just even if you like i don't want this to become rote trump bashing i uh i'd like to think that our trump bashing is a little more elevated but even if we were huge uh conservatives here on this i it's just so unsubtle. It's just so, you know, there's no way you could talk about that without, I don't know. Yeah, and you know I think, I, mean? I do. And and I think because you know, Jane Austen really does get in some quite revolutionary digs about families. Yeah. And mothers uh-huh. and relationships and... Uh, and and women's roles, but they're, it's all told through actions and through 
uh, introspection. Uh-huh. Uh And so you would actually, you, it, it takes a little bit of analysis. She doesn't let, she doesn't just let you have it. So what these critics are, are unsettled people. Themselves. Who are these, these critics? critics? Oh, I don't know. I don't have a name off the top of my head. I mean, I could, I could see, um, I, I, I think... See- I could see that being an opinion of Roxanne Gay. I don't want to trash Roxanne Gay, but I feel like that's the kind of thing she'd say. Yeah, I think I I, got, I know uh, certain types of uh, certain. I have had conversations with um, very ultra leftists who see. I mean, not Jane Austen, but not just Jane Austen, but like the English novel uh, project as a whole as being sort of a, a bulwark of capitalism and. Uh, the you know the liberal project, uh, which and I think there's a there's a point oh, no, that I, they're making, like, but as as all cultural products, you know, have that have that purpose. But I think it's a it's a bit of a of a broad blanket to cast over all of English literature and have that be the only thing it is. Well, yeah, and it's also it doesn't have to be that. It, you know, it's so funny we're talking about this because. Um, I'm in the middle of uh, uh, ideology and ideological state apparatuses, apparatuses, the the Althusser thing. It's very dense, but it's basically, um, you know, there's uh, the substructure of, uh, you know, basic economics, and then there's the superstructure of, of culture, and the superstructure has, most people think of the superstructure as like... Uh, repressive state institutions like uh the law or like courtrooms but then there's ideological state apparatuses which are like what the things were taught sort of the manners were taught uh the basic everyday interactions we have with other people the um the media just sort of everything contributes to replicating capitalist ideology or the ideal ide or if not a capitalist ideology then the ideology of the era of course, um, yeah. Like Jane Austen is absolutely part of the superstructure. There's no, there's no denying that. We're, we all are. Like, there's no. Yeah. Just because that's true doesn't mean. And also, it's going to be true of any you know situation you're in. Like, you can't. Like eating, eating is going to repl- recreate capitalist ideology because you are a cog in the machine, and you are self-sustaining yourself. So, like, stop, stop eating. Stop wanna, eating. Yeah. Stop breathing. Um, so, so likewise, there is room for, uh, literature. Also, Althusser, uh, killed his wife, so... Well, there you go. So fuck him. Uh, hegemony leads to, um, matricide. That's when you, that's when you kill your mattress. That's when you, yeah, it's, um, yeah, and here in New York, I mean, am I right? Whoa. Yeah, um... Uh, so, uh... We got really close to learning something there. That's... We gotta talk about... That's as close as we've ever come. Uh, so, the... The... Uh, Catherine and Henry... my girlfriend's ever come. (laughs) Am I right? Am I right? Am I right, ladies? Um... uh, Help. Help me, Annie. Uh, yeah, I think I'm just gonna leave you there. I think I might... I might... I might just leave you there. Um, and I'm gonna talk about how, uh, Catherine and Henry get married. Okay. Do you think like they're having good sex in the Regency era? Like, do you think any of these people know what the hell they're doing? I mean, you know, they're 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 human beings and human bodies, and human beings have had human bodies for hundreds of thousands of years. 
um, I think you're you're an animal. You know, you might have some sense of what to you know how to please yourself. Also, yeah, I feel like you know what's the line from Jurassic Park? Life finds a way. Like you eventually go to associate certain things and certain triggers and certain uh, sensations with sexuality, and that helps. And I think it's a mistake to think that that we are having suddenly better sex since the sexual revolution of the 1960s. No, no, it's true. That's um it's not necessarily uh true. I don't want to go like all uh all authoritarian right on that matter and be like all authoritarian left on that matter and be like yeah, we need to return to tradition or anything, but it's a it's a uh mistake to yeah you're right it is a mistake to think that we're necessarily doing it better uh i think we did we have probably a very different priorities different kind of sex now than in the early 19th century yeah uh i think that uh i don't i think that these are both virgins like henry Mm -hmm. and Catherine are probably both virgins and that's going to make it awkward for them for a while but they'll figure it out They'll figure it out. They're, they're, they're smart kids. Um, well, that leads me to think, like, what kind of weird fetishes do they have then? Uh, well, we know about the gothic novel one. I think um, H- Catherine is going to maybe make uh, Henry dress up as, like, an evil count, and she'll put on, like, a like a nun's mantle and, like, yeah. hide, in, uh, hide in the closet, and then Henry will, like, storm around making big scary noises around their vicarage going, Ho, 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 where is my little sister? I will Wait, find you. Hold on, is he Santa Claus? <laughs> No, he's the evil count. Oh, okay. I just, I heard ho, ho, ho. I don't don't know. That's my evil count Uh, says ho, ho, ho. (laughs) The evil count is Santa Claus. It's uh, a weird sort of complicated. That was the Rankin-based movie they didn't make. Yeah. What did you think about uh, Catherine and Henry in the adaptation? Oh, wait, before we talk about the adaptation, uh, chapter 31. Um, Let's just wrap everything up. Uh, they can't get married. Uh, Henry wants to marry Catherine. Like, literally, I'm summarizing the whole thing because the chapter reads like a summary. Uh, Henry apologizes for his dad last chapter, and they all both want to get married, but they can't because his dad uh, won't give their, his consent. But then Henry's sister marries a really rich guy and um, convinces, and the dad is so happy about that that... Uh, he consents to let Henry marry a, a middle-class girl like Catherine. The end. Yeah, and the the guy who uh, who Eleanor winds up marrying, who convinces the um, uh, General Tilney to let Henry ma- marry Catherine. Uh, I mean, I mean, this is pretty much the only sign we get of him in the entire book. This mm-hmm. this this invisible person upon whom the entire plot turns, and even Literally, in, oh sorry, I interrupted. Even in the um, in the adaptation, they kind of see that as a problem, and they and they, they stick they in go and fix it. Yeah, they stick him in, and when uh, when El- when Eleanor and Henry are in Bath, they have like a secret tryst in the in the woods. Um, but it's not the, just the adaptation that thinks it's a problem. It's Jane Austen knows it's a problem because she says in the chapter, uh, it is a mistake in writing to uh, introduce a character that isn't directly involved in the plot this late in the game. Uh, so I'm sorry. Like, she says something like that. And it's like, well, don't don't lampshade your own 
don't point out your own flaws. Like, I get it that you're tired of writing this novel, but come on. Well, I think we we discussed a little bit in our lost ch- chapter um, that uh, this is this might be a little bit like um, the end of Wuthering Heights, where maybe Jane Austen didn't actually write this chapter. Yeah, that this was cobbled together by publishers or her relatives because the whole thing was published posthumously. So, um, so this thing reads like an outline because maybe it was an outline. Maybe it was an outline. Maybe it was like cobbled together from her notes, and she had intended to uh, to to be a little bit more expansive about all of this. Um, but the and this is why like the ending of this book is such a fucking mess. Yeah. It just sort of ends. But uh, the good news, by the way, in case you're all worried about our sweet puss cinnamon bun, uh, she does marry uh, Henry and they live happily ever after. So there you go. Yep. Yep. And the end. The end. The end. It's like three pages and then they're married. And then they're married. Yeah, it ends very abruptly. Um, And uh, I want to give a little round of applause. Hooray. Hooray. We did it. We finished. And it's so, it's so, um, yeah, it's a little bit anticlimactic. Uh, I mean, it's a Jane Austen novel, so we know they're going to get married. The end, anyway. And then when they just, when it just sort of happens without a whole lot of uh, drama, it's, I mean, that is kind of the, um, the whole thesis of the book, is that love happens without drama. Yeah. Um, but, of course, I guess... But at the same time, or, or like the drama that happens is not the drama of a gothic novel. Like the uh, the actual scary drama that happens in real life is, um, you know, is to do with lies and very banal human motivations, like greed and jealousy and so on. The um, people being the, um, people uh, having ego and stat- obsessed with status and you know. Yeah, the the conniving Thorps. Uh, it's all about how you know these are the bad things that can happen in Christian civilization, in a land in, where in, there are newspapers, and dentists, dentists, and Englishmen, and democracy, and uh, and not the the terrible things that happen in Gothic novels don't ever ha- don't don't ever happen. Um, which, of course, uh, as uh, in, as our good friend Boccaccio would know, uh, is bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got scared. I thought he'd come out and um, break one of my... You know, while he was talking to me, he actually broke my pinky. But, you know, you're being shockingly stoic under the circumstances. I, uh, uh, I... Well, I muted that part out. Of me screaming. All right. Yeah, you can't hear it because I, I, uh, uh, did it. But if you were wondering why, like, I was mutely screaming over our Zoom call, that's why. Okay. Um, well, I, I appreciate your stoicism. Um, I can see that your pinky is hanging off of your hand. Hold I'm going to have to have some, some words with Boccaccio. Oh, don't, please. Listen. <laughs> words with Boccaccio, please. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't get, don't get involved. No, he's a, he respects a strong woman. All it'll right. be, it'll be fine. Um, so... Uh, so that was, that's the end of Northanger Abbey. Yeah, we did it. We, we did, did it. We, we read a book, which to be fair, where was any, anybody listening to this? Were you going to read a book? You are not. You're not going to read any book. You're going to sit on your butt. Don't you fucking lie to me. 
you I know you're going to say, oh, I was, you know, I was going to get around to it eventually. You know, I, I was going to do that. Yeah, sure. Sure you were. You were going to re- listen to some resistance liberal podcast by one of the Johns. Yep. Uh, you were going to go to brunch. Uh, and you were going to get to forget all about Jane Austen. You were not going to read a book. So we have we have provided you with a book. Yeah. Uh, um. And uh, and now we can we can talk about the movie. So uh, yeah, so we watched. Uh, it was the 2012, was it? Uh, something I think it was actually 2007, something like that. Uh, what's her face? Who is in it? Looked very young. Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan plays Isabella Thorpe, which was, uh, I think, uh, not a great uh, casting. Oh wait, who played um who played Catherine then? I thought was, she was a famous person. Yeah, it was uh what's her name from uh from um Star Wars. That's right. M uh It was um you know, we should have been prepared to talk about this. Um anyway, it doesn't uh, we'll, we'll think of it later. Oh, Felicity Jones. Felicity Jones, that's right. Felicity Jones uh, plays Catherine, and I thought she was fine. I think, like, um, I was um, sort of imagining Catherine as being more, like, kind of cute than, like, Hollywood hot. Yeah, um, I thought there was a couple of times where Felicity Jones conveyed a, a kind of country cuteness, uh, despite her uh, glit. It's not like, I remember when they cast uh, Kira Knightley as... Um, as Betty, as as Lizzie, as Lizzie, which does like she's so, Keira Knightley is so ethereally beauty like beautiful like a like an air elemental that it just doesn't make sense that down to earth Lizzie would no. be yeah. played by her. Carrie Mulligan, not Carrie Mulligan. Um, this actress here, although does have Hollywood attractiveness, I feel like every once in a while, especially during her reverie scenes, where she was like. She she adopted on her face a kind of very placid smile, like ah, this this scene of attractiveness is happening before me that I thought was very like dopey, but like deliberately so. Yes, yes, I I thought that the the scene where um, Catherine and Mrs. Allen are going are in the lower rooms, and they mm-hmm. can't and they're in it and they're re- it's really crowded. They don't know anybody. They they sit they sit down for tea and it's really awkward they haven't been introduced to anyone and the i thought that scene was captured very very well perfectly in a way that um like i i had forgotten that we had read that in the book but in this one they did all the different like teen rom-com movie tricks where you're at a party and you don't know anyone they did that here with like the pump room at bath uh, the scene where they actually get introduced to uh, to Henry Tilney, I thought was also very well done. Henry is, he's not as charming, I think, as he is in the book. No. Because um, I think we're, we're supposed to see him a little bit as Catherine sees him, as just this, like, dazzling wit. Um, and he's just like this sort of nice guy. He's okay. He's like, yeah. They, uh, they should have cut all of the muslin stuff where he impresses... Mrs. Allen due to the muslin. I feel like they should have cut that, but... Yeah, I thought uh, Mrs. Allen, I didn't think, was very well written because she seemed just too normal. She was a completely normal, like, mom type, uh, completely forgettable. And I wonder how much of this is us, like, adopting so much of our own personal lore onto these characters. 
but but yeah, you're right. I mean, we knew we um, do know this book pretty well at this point. I think we, we they should have asked us to go back in time and write this movie for them, and write this movie. Um, I uh, so the thing this movie does that I like a lot uh, is they have. Catherine in these reveries where they switch the camera angles and they switch the directing style to these scenes of like these action movie scenes where like uh, uh, Catherine is like sitting in a carriage and then pictures and then suddenly uh, like like intense music starts pumping and men on horseback rob them and then one of them is very handsome and she swoons and like yeah that's what that's what's going on. Yeah, I thought that was uh, that was pretty well done, uh, and it and it kind of it it works. It evolves. It, it works and it evolves. Like eventually, as she meets all these hot men in Bath, they had, she introduces them into her fantasies. You know, uh, Henry Tilney is like sword fighting John Thorpe at one point, and she's swooning in a castle. And like, okay, yeah, this works. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's not it. it you know the the styles don't clash. It works very well. It goes back and forth least, very well. It de- it develops well until you get to Northanger Abbey, and then the the styles combine. I thought that was a that was a nice little trick they did. Yeah, or at least at first when the styles do clash, that's the point. Like you can tell they're doing this on purpose. Yeah, to indicate this is a dream or this is a you know, she's yeah. Anyway. Where I thought uh, that this movie failed was uh, with the the pretty much the entire Thorpe family. I, I um, here I will make a horrible confession. Um, Isabella Thorpe was fine. Fine. Oh, I mean, ca- like Carrie Mulligan is one of the great beauties. Great beauties. She is. Yes, uh, she is. And and I think for that because she is so she is such like a devastatingly statuesque like actress that she she just like out acts like anyone around her i think she's like a highly underutilized actress um yeah, in this and and i think in like most films she's in uh she is not right for the role of isabella who is just supposed to be this like craven imbecile although i imagine that uh it's more fun to play isabella well, yeah, yeah, much, yeah. I mean, I would, I would choose Isabella, like, if I was, like, given the role of, like, one of the young female leads, I would choose Isabella over Catherine. Um, they completely miscast and misacted, uh, uh, and miswrote John Thorpe. He's not, he's not even a character, he's just, like, he, he's not even on screen for that long, and he, and he's, and the entire plot rests upon his stupidity, and we, we get, he's on, he's on screen for, like, five minutes. In the book, he's this ignorant bore, uh, the whole time, and in the movie, he's, like, I mean, he comes across as just kind of a nice guy, like, not even a, a nice guy, but, like, okay, just, like, like, you know. He's a nice-looking boy, and he does ordinary boy things, and he's, like, completely forgettable. Yeah, is he like, oh, he's guilty of a little bit of jealousy, um, and some funny things happened, and that's it. And I think, like, part of the reason, I mean, you can't convey all of that, the, um, the, like, Catherine's, like, teen girl devastation in, in a film, because there's no, um, there's no introspection, but they could have done a better job than they did. Yeah, you could, and, yeah. They could have, I mean, there are uh, music cues, there are subtle visual cues you can do, there's, like, ways you shoot a character. You can absolutely make him, like, 
I don't know, a little more like who's a like the Cameron character from a Ten Things I Hate About You. Wait, wait, no, not the Cameron character. The yeah, there was a there was a preppy jock in Ten Things I Hate About You, wasn't there? I don't know, but it's such a good movie. It's been maybe twenty years. Okay. Uh, the one thing that uh annoyed me about this film and it tends to annoy me a lot in um in a lot of adaptations of Jane Austen is that it, it you know it focuses on the um uh, the the romance instead of the satire oh yeah and they don't get it well because they think it's an old-timey they think it's like old-timey and they don't understand what it is that people come to this for right yeah yeah it's just that that merchant ivory um sheen that you just you you just want to look through rose-tinted glasses at the at the past in this nostalgic way and to sort of focus on uh you know it's, it, it, may, it makes it seem like everybody who's watching this movie is is a modern day mrs allen that you're 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 obviously a, a karen if you're watching a jane austen movie and oh no and they do it on purpose because all the karens expect Expect this to be just one romance after another, and it's like no, they had genres then too. Yeah, you know, with of course the exception of um, Whit Stillman's uh, Love and Friendship, which I need to see. Which is, I think, by far the best Jane Austen adaptation I've ever seen, and it's based on one of her sort of uh, kind of obscure uh, uh, juvenilia. Did you see that Emma movie that came out? No, I need to. It, it looked good. I thought it looked good. Uh, yeah, I said that they're all bad. It's just that there's not enough of a ex- there are not enough extremes, not enough ugliness. Like the 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 horrificness of of John Thorpe and the uh, the cravenness of Mrs. Allen, the um, the 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 greed and the, uh, the actual villainy of Isabella Thorpe and the and her behavior are is uh, just just is, is not conveyed in any way in the film. The film, speaking of these villains, um, the film really played up the villainy of General Tilney. He was the big bad guy there, and they made a big point of saying he was the dick. And, you know, he's not a good guy in the book, but he's more of just another shade of boorish in the book. Yes. He's just like another John Thorpe. Absolutely. Like, oh, oh, dad again. Oh, you silly goose. And then in this, he's like a monster. Yeah, I actually thought the the some of the best scenes for me were the scenes in Northanger Abbey with General Tilney and with his um, where Catherine goes and finds the secret portrait in the dead wife's room. Yeah, and like all those scenes were just pitch perfect. I, I think as as the the, the Tilney Eleanor scenes throughout the, the adaptation are excellent, um, but because they're there, it's all playing up the romance. It's like the. Um, they put all their budget into it or whatever. They put all their budget into it. Like, the sort of the self-satisfied, um, like, uh, you know, 11th grade English teacher parts of this book about um, what is truly scary in life is the is not the gothic castle, but your future father-in-law not thinking you're good enough. Um, and, you know, go and, go and write your five-paragraph essay now. Like a we good girl. We all had a... Yeah, uh, we had a question and answer at the end where it's like, in, in the first scene, where this has been called an example of social satire. What examples of social satire do you see in your modern life? <laughs> you know, oh, God. Oh, God. That just made yeah. me... I just had, like, brain freeze just thinking thinking about that. 
I, there's, the only part of me that wants to go back to high school, like, none of it, me does, but the part of me that does is, like, I would kick homework's ass. Oh, yeah. I really would. I remember, uh, back when the library was still open, and, um, back when I, you know, could go to work, uh, the teens that would come and would be like, oh, I have to write two whole pages. Like, I write two pages for fun. Shut the fuck up. Yeah. Pretty, yeah. yeah, I I would, I, and and now, and especially as an adult, if you work in a really stupid job, which all of us have done as adults, you you know that you don't have to actually do any thinking. No, when you you're when you're think. when you're when you must be in the thrall of an authority figure, nobody is paying you to think. All you have to do is like obey obey orders, and I think a lot of. Um, a lot of kids don't realize that, and that's the thing that that's why everybody hates the A students and the valedictorians because they figured out it was like, oh, just do what I'm, just you know, just they say jump and you say how high, and that's that's pretty much the entire trick to school. It's so funny, and it took me so long to realize this. I was a, I, I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy, but I was a bad student, um, and uh, I was so pissed off at the A students, and like like you said, because I would hear their book reports or read their stuff or even talk to them, and it was so vapid. It was like, here is what I think you want to hear. Here is I'm saying the things that I was carefully taught to say. And meanwhile, I'd like, you know, oh, it's time for my book report, and I'd like go off on a screaming tangent, and then I'd get like sent to the principal in a D minus because that had nothing to do with the topic, right? And it's like, oh, they caring is a huge mistake. Like, now I know that they were like, yes, they're playing the game. They know exactly what they're doing, and they're doing it to survive. And, like, I shouldn't have been mad at them. I should have been joining them. Yeah, and I think that we can I, – I, I, there was a one point I remember in the 12th grade when I just realized that, oh, I can just um, – which is a little bit too late to get into a really good school, where, is that, oh, I just, I just say in my essay exactly what I wrote down in my notes in class and repeat yeah. back to the teacher what they said, and then they'll give me an A and a lollipop, and I will, uh, you know, go off to, you know, an, a, to an extraordinary school, and I'll have all of my, my, uh, my extracurriculars and, and uh, you know, onwards and upwards into a, into a golden future. Um and, and speaking of um, ideology, like you know, ideology being self-replicating, and all of these are apparatuses intended to reproduce a system. But like all these A students, then go on to jobs and think tanks in the media, and then there is a uh, unconscious current as to what pe people in power want to hear, and you write to uh, satisfy that, and that creates its own justifications, right? So I, I have a uh, I have a question for you, Eric. Yeah. Um, can you do an imitation of uh, like one of your one of your book reports that sent you to the principal's office? Hold on, let me let me. Uh, you're right. I should have been a little more prepared. Uh, well, well, we'll save that for the next podcast. Yeah, you're right. We'll we, save. We'll have to save it because I wasn't ready for that. For for that, I'm sorry. I I should have thought of something. Um, so let's, uh, so we're about 40 minutes now and it was a short chapter. Do we have anything extra to say about, um, about the film adaptation? Um, what did you think of the end? They kind of changed the end a little bit, right? The, uh, he doesn't forgive his, this goes, ties into the general. Right. Yeah. 
he doesn't he doesn't forgive his father and um or he they set it up to be this horrible unforgivable thing with his father whereas in the book it's like okay oh dad you silly goose and in the movie it's like i will never speak to you again and the film ends with the dad puttering around alone in Northanger Abbey. Right. I, 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 I mean, I think that the book's version is much better and much more convincing that families, are like uh, that. you know, families fight over money and they don't talk for periods of time. And then uh, and then everybody just like stops talking about that thing that happened and carries yeah. on as if nothing nothing went wrong. People do petty stuff and then you just don't talk about it. Yeah. Which is a lot more realistic. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I like, you know, it, it makes sense, like, the in the Hollywood version, like, Catherine is like, I'm poor, and he's like, I'm poor now, too, let us get married and live in my vicarage, the end. Which is fine, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, okay, done with the movie, done with chapter 31. I, I see a rustling at your apartment, though. Um, I feel like people, th- there's somebody behind in the veil. Oh, yeah, there's, um... There's like a, a ghostly glimmer coming out from behind the veil. Um, it's it's shooting out through my laptop too. I think some of our our old friends want to say something to us. Um, so that I'm seeing like there's like a a sort of slow moving skinny woman with white hair and glasses. Uh, she's sitting on my bed. She's sort of getting her ectoplasm on my duvet. Uh, excuse me, ma'am. Would you would you would you get up, please? She's not listening to me. Oh, 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 yeah, no, she's, um, wait a minute, hold on. I thought, it, uh, oh, it's, oh, she's, she's, she's transporting herself through the, uh, camera, and it's, oh, hi, hello, how you doing? Oh, it's you again, Flannery O'Connor. Goodness gracious me, don't mind me, I heard this was your last episode, so I thought I'd join in fan favorite Flannery O'Connor. So, uh, thank you for joining us again, Flannery. Um, so, tell us how well, how is the old god Mana Yutushai uh, faring these days? Mana Yutushai, every time you utter his name on your sinful, unworthy lips, it risks the chance of his waking up. And with but a single gesture of his mighty hands, each the size of a cosmos themselves, he shrugs away our existence in reality like a fleeting dream, for we are his nightmare, and a nightmare he had a long time ago. So we are we are dreaming Mana Yutushai and are simultaneously living his dream. No, no he's dreaming us. Fuck. <laughs> he already had dreamt us many eons ago. Okay. That makes Time me... Itself that's awkward. also... Things like time, um, past participles, uh, you know, uh, these are all things he dreamt as well, too. So he dreamt us far in the future and way back in time. Goodness. Yes. Uh, well, okay. Well, that's very exciting. Flannery O'Connor. Do what do you, so what do you have any final words for, for us here at chapter by chapter? We're probably going to start a a new podcast pretty soon. So we hope that you'll come on. Uh, I would absolutely again. love to because I want to increase the possibility of people learning about the cult of Mana Yudzu Sha. May he, uh, may his rest be uh, very uh, troubled. Uh, and uh, I feel as though proselytizing you sinful Yankees would be a really good option. The thing is, I just want absolute oblivion. Uh, everything is grotesque, 
awful, weird, um, uncomfortable, kind of racist, and ugly. And if we all just completely uh, had absolute sweet oblivion after all of this, uh, that would be perfect. So you want to uh, uh, obliterate consciousness in the land of the dead as well as the living. Yes, indeed. And this is the easiest way to do it, is to wake up the oldest god of them all. For before Allah was ever Allah, and before the gods ever ruled on Mount Olympus, there sat and wrought Mana Yud Sushai. Well, I think that's just beautiful, Flannery, and I really appreciate you coming on and uh, and, and living your truth uh, of uh, eternal oblivion and the, the god Mana Yud Sushai, who has been dreaming us all for many eons. Uh, now, before I leave, though, uh, I couldn't help but first of all, do you want some? Do you want some ectoplasm covered barbecue? Um, so I no longer have feet as a result of the last time. Oh, I, I see oblivion's coming to you. I too. had I had your ectoplasm covered barbecue, so I think I might pass. Um, but why don't you leave us um, in Eric's apartment, and he can have some when he um, uh, when he wakes up from his uh, his his slumber if he wakes up. I, all right, I can do that. The ectoplasm really leaves an umami flavor. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Flannery. You're welcome. Whoop, 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 whoop. Oh, that was fun. Um, I think I see another another ghostly figure on your end, though. I don't? I don't see another ghostly figure? Well, hold on. I do see a ghostly figure, but it's traveling through the camera, and it's here in my apartment again. Oh, I seem to be channeling him now. Oh dear, I'm so glad I'm back. Oh, um, is it uh, Wilkie Collins? Is that you? Uh, <laughs> I know. Oh, 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 darling, I know you would love it for it to be Wilkie Collins, but I'm afraid it's somebody quite more unpleasant. Oh, a Lovecraft. Oh yes, I have returned. Deeply unpleasant H.P. Lovecraft. I heard you speaking about me, and boy, did I have a blush red. Well, uh, you know, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Uh, yes, it is I, Lovecraft. Lovecraft. Uh, and uh, do you have any, uh, any, any last words for chapter by chapter? Um, all of my last words for chapter by chapters are racial slurs. Oh, uh, okay. So maybe, so maybe, just, maybe just shut up. Are you sure? I, I have a list right here. I put it on the cellular telephone. We'll put it in the show notes. We promise. Uh, let's see here. It's a whole list of them involving uh, ethnicities people have even forgotten about. Uh, so, uh, Lovecraft, I think, wait, wait, why don't you, you're going to come back on a new podcast and, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll have you back on. You can read all of your lists. Very well. Toodaloo. Uh, so I guess that's it for us here on, uh, on Chapter by Chapter. So, uh, that's from uh, from Eric and I, and from H.P. Uh, Lovecraft and Flannery O'Connor and Giovanni Boccaccio and all of your uh, disgusting, racist, ghostly friends from behind the veil. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you, and we are we are signing off. Any any last words, Eric? Uh, keep to keep uh, keep in touch. We're going to start a new podcast pretty soon. Um, we're we're working out the deets, but um, we'll probably post a we'll probably post a quick thing that just says come listen to us here or something if you're still subscribed to this feed yeah we will we will soon uh we will soon have a new podcast and uh so uh, so you know keep tuning in and uh and thank you for 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 listening um getting through all 31 chapters and reading an entire book with us
So long. One whole book. See you around. Bye.